mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we got a special guest. Okay, we're excited to talk about uh, nutrition and strength conditioning with someone who's done it at a high level and continues to do it and is providing great information um, on different platforms and to individuals as well. Um, so we are excited to have Sean Pitcher with us. Um, he is uh, MS, RD, and LD, meaning licensed dietitian as well, if you're not following here with all of those abbreviations. <laughs> uh, just quick intro, man. Um, he is the sports dietitian at Overtime Elite. He's the host of his own podcast, Roots Podcast. Go check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you can find podcasts. Um, in that podcast, he aims to break down barriers within sports performance, uh, within the sports performance field, bring departments together in one format, and give professionals the opportunity to express who they are behind their name. So big time. Uh, and also, he holds his bachelor's in science, master's in human health, performance, and recreation. He completed his first year of PhD work. Man, congrats to you. That's uh, got to be tough for sure. Um, <laughs> man, he's got over, he's got many years of experience at D3, D2 high school, D1 professional, pre combine, and Olympic level athlete. Um, so he's done a lot. He and his fiance, Laura, who is a strength coach, which is fantastic. I found that out. That's, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have a website where they are providing, uh, strength training and nutrition services to anybody, um, on an individual basis. So go check him out any way you can search his name. Uh, he's been at places like IMG Academy, Pitt State in Kansas, if anyone knows where that is, and Ole Miss, <laughs> just to name a few places. So, uh, Sean, man, we are excited to have you here with us. So thank you for jumping on this call. Really appreciate it. I'm jacked up, ready to go. Let's get it started. Uh, man, so you met Claire at Florida State um, for that brief time during COVID. I know that was wild for everyone to experience that. And um, man, you beat me out of a position at Pitt State that I was going for. So um, just to let everyone know, he is the man for sure. The man to beat right there. But um, what I wanted to jump in first is like uh, Claire and I have expressed our um, I guess our in or, or the thing that motivated us or really impacted us to get into uh, our field respectively. Can you talk to us about a couple of like really big influences that you had? Maybe it's a person or an event that got you into um, sports nutrition. Oh, yeah, I definitely have a couple different examples there. So it's probably, uh, you know, whoever's watching this, looking at me right now, um, you know, when I was younger, probably like 10 to 12 years old, I was a husky little kid and my, my parents brought me to the doctors because on my, on my dad's side, um, there was obviously some concern for high lipid levels and things genetically that probably we couldn't control. So they wanted to do some testing, figure out where some of my, my biomarkers were at and, you know, see if there's anything from a lifestyle standpoint, we had to change. So that doctor that day basically scare tactic me. Um, and he got my levels back and he said, if you don't change what you're doing currently right now and the weight that you're at and just what you're doing in general, he's like, you're going to run into some severe health issues. Like when you get older. And I was like, well, I don't want that to happen. Like if I'm going to be able to have a long career at that time, I was playing uh football, which I played all the way up into, to the collegiate, uh, 
collegiate side. Um, I was like, I got to figure out how I can change this. So I was trying to consume as much nutrition information as possible, right? At the time, it was like bodybuilding.com yeah. or I would go to the library just finding some books. Like I didn't know what to do, but I was trying to see like, where can I try to gather some type of concept and idea of how we can try to make some changes. Um, you know, my father was a gym rat. So my dad brought me into the gym probably at like 12 years old. So, and I've been training ever since, um, just like him. I, I also love to train, have to train four times a week or I don't feel the same. Um, so when I was, when I did that, uh, I matched the training. I started learning a little bit about nutrition, supplementation. Um, and I was really fortunate at my high school, you know, not many high schools have this, but we had one teacher, she taught home ec, she taught cooking classes, and she taught nutrition. And her her daughter right now is currently a dietitian um, in Boston at a local hospital. She works in a weight management clinic. So that was kind of where my initial motivation came. Um, you know, I come from a family where it's just me, my brother, and one cousin that went to college. So I really had no clue how to get into college, how that worked, you know, what opportunities were out there. Um, so with that teacher's help and also my counselor's help, you know, essentially found what were schools that I could still play football, but were that also had a nutrition and dietetics background to it as well. Um, so he helped kind of guide me through that phase. Um, and then when I got to where I ended up playing and where I ended up going to do my undergrad at Buffalo State, kind of that next person that helped me figure out there was a sports nutrition end to it was uh, her name is Dr. Carol Donation. Um, you know, out of all the professors there, no one really knew anything about sports nutrition. It was fairly new, you know, back around in like 2010, there wasn't, you know, I went to the CPSDA conference. There's that, there was that core group, you know, 15, 20 people, but no one really knew a lot about it at that time. Um, so she was able to kind of connect me with a couple different people in the field, you know, figure out what opportunities were out there. Um, and that's how I just kind of began my path to figure out how, what I needed to do to get into that direction. Now, I didn't start out with nutrition and my initial jobs and internships and, and opportunities there just because, I'm um, Claire, you could probably speak on this. There just wasn't a ton of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So that's where I had to go the strength and conditioning route to start with. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely can um, attest to that. That I mean, even now, it's it's grown so much, sports nutrition as a whole, but it's still not where strength and conditioning is by any means. So um, I mean, I came in a little bit later than you, Sean. So it was a little, there were a lot more opportunities. I think by the time I became a dietitian and was entering the collegiate realm, but even then it was still, we were talking about the CPSDA listserv, like you find multiple listings a day now. And when I was looking for jobs, it was like maybe one a week, maybe a couple a month. So it's yeah. grown a lot, um, from, from even like the past two, three, five years, um, but I think that's yeah. really cool to pivot a little bit and start in the strength and conditioning side. What was that like? I mean, that was, I, I got to intern for, um, his name is Nate Young. He's at Buffalo State College. Um, oh, he's so my there. football career ended him. He's still there. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I he is. I met him at a conference. Yeah. yeah great guy. Um, awesome initial mentor toward me again. I didn't know you can get school paid for. I didn't know there was paid internships, fellowships. I didn't know about any of that type of stuff. So, you know, he's like, Hey, here's four websites. Like as you're starting to wind stuff down, like if you're not finding stuff in nutrition, because I end up having to find, how do I fill this time? Right. You know, a lot of athletes, you know, athletics doesn't last forever. So 
I had several concussions, unfortunately. You know, the coach, the sports medicine staff was like, hey, I mean, this is D3. You're probably not going to go play in, in the pros. So you really not need to start thinking about life after sport. Um, and anyone that's an athlete, when you take out practice, lift, film, uh, weight room sessions, and anything else that kind of surrounds athletics, that could be four to six hours more or less of your life. So at that point, I was like, well, how do I fill this? Like, obviously, I have school. And I could possibly get a job and do some part-time work, but like, how am I going to keep advancing myself? So literally Nate had just got hired at that time. And I went down, I was like, Hey, can I intern for you? And and of course, right. Like at a D3 level, like, yeah, I'll take whatever help I can get, you know, to help out. So from my sophomore year until to the point where I, I couldn't intern with him anymore, just because of my clinical rotations, I was with him for like a good two, two or three years. Um, so he gave me a lot of insight, a lot of guidance a lot of information on kind of what the next steps were to take um, just because nutrition opportunities weren't available. So, you know, I was like, if I can get my master's paid for, um, this is another avenue or a plan B in this case until I can find some type of opportunity in nutrition, then I guess this is the path that I'm going to have to take right now. And that's kind of where Pitt State ended up popping up for me and, and University of Buffalo and a couple of connections and opportunities happened there. And that kind of started my strength and conditioning journey. Um, anyone that knows strength and conditioning, it's definitely a whole nother animal. It's a lot of hours. Um, and you're definitely gonna be working with people with type A or, or very high level personalities. So definitely figuring out how you fit into that team or the sports that you work with or the coaches um, is extremely important in those kind of initial steps. Um, and figuring out how you can be a piece of the puzzle and what they're trying to solve or the, what they're trying to do there, I felt was super critical. Don't come in and try to act like you know everything. Don't come in and think you're this hot shot. Like sit back, listen, ask tons of questions, and you're going to make lots of mistakes, which it's okay. We've all made mistakes before. And how do we capitalize that and continue to grow as you keep going along? Um, and what can you take from kind of each place that you've been at to then kind of build and develop your own philosophy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man, that's fantastic. I actually, well, sorry, sorry, Mike. Uh, I got a question that I want to go back to when we were talking about jobs for uh, dietitians. Mm -hmm. um, do, are those seasonal? Like, you know how strength conditioning jobs are really seasonal? Like they'll, all the football jobs will pop up in the wintertime and then all the other jobs after that, like Olympic jobs will pop up in the springtime when they're available. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's a huge rush. Like right now, there's just tons of strength conditioning jobs opening up because people are just like, shuffling around yeah. taking jobs i would say sometimes it's not it's it doesn't sound like it is maybe as seasonal or as uh regular as strength and conditioning mm -hmm. i would say sometimes it's a little random but there are maybe some patterns to what i've noticed i don't know sean if maybe you've noticed something different yeah i say there's there's a lot of overlaps there right at the end of the fall season january you might see more jobs popping up going into the springtime um or you know they might get through the spring and then after the springtime you'll see a lot of jobs popping up around like that may jewish junish time going into obviously let's say for football like a spring ball or going into the august time if you're on the olympic side whatever that may be but there's always kind of like those two or three different times throughout the year where you'll kind of see this explosion right. um because again, depending on the department or the dietitian you know did you show enough value and justification where you can keep that spot or have you shown enough value where you need to then add another spot because, you know, more teams are asking for your services, but 
with the time you can put in, you can only provide X amount of services. Right. Um, so luckily in our field, I mean, the last conference I went to, I mean, we had 600 people at the conference, which is not even all the sports dietitians in the country um, from that original 15 to 20. You know, that's, I would say, what, 15 years? I mean, it's, I don't know, triple, quadrupled, maybe even more than that yeah. to, to where we are now. So if you look at all the levels, you know, Dave Ellis has done a great job in, in multiple of the pro settings. You know, every single baseball team has to have a at least one dietitian via the agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL dietitians have now pr- put together a group mm-hmm. where they're now standardizing the services that should be provided across the NFL versus one team having nothing and the other team having everything. Um, so you're, you're starting to see definitely certain people in our field definitely step forward and trying to standardize and make sure at least you have one full-time dietitian instead of just a consultant, which can only provide the athletes, what, four to eight hours of service, like to build relationships and trust and, and behavior change and implement some of the stuff. You definitely need someone there full-time. Like it's, it's essential. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You might see, um, back to the job thing too, with like GAs or fellowships or things like that. I see that more very, there's the cyclical pattern of, um, Mm -hmm. after a specific season or whatever, you definitely see those jobs pop up a lot, but, um, yeah, the, the growth of sports nutrition and the veterans that have kind of taken, um, opportunities in the last uh, couple of months, even to kind of push, push it forward has been really cool to see. I mean, I didn't go to CPSDA, um, but you know, seeing all of kind of the stuff that's happening is really cool. Um, very exciting, very exciting times in sports nutrition. Yeah, for sure. Sean, I usually go off on a tangent at least once in our podcast. I'm going to take the opportunity <laughs> to do it right now. Um, not 20 minutes, not 20 time. minutes. You mentioned, uh, <laughs> Please. you mentioned like strength coaches, they have, you know, like high level personalities or some of them are just like straight weirdos, right? Like it, it just really depends on what you get. Um, and, and it seems like most football coaches, they've got that high amount of energy, whether that's, um, relatable energy that they have or real rah, rah, like crazy guys, right? Like, um, have you, what kind of personalities did you experience when you were in strength conditioning? Um, just all the different places, or even as your time, um, as a sports nutritionist, sports dietitian, like at other places. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of give you a rundown just from like where I've been. I'm also not going to name names. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but like, you're, you're going to get, the, you're going to get the spectrum, like to say, to say the least, you know? Um, you know, I had one that I worked with at IMG Academy, right? Like his, his energy, his presence, his positivity, always having a smile on, right? Very loud individual. And a lot of that was just like an external, like facade, right? Like where to the athletes, he was trying to bring that to them because obviously energy makes a huge difference in the room. If you're coming in sad, down, poor body language, that's going to directly reflect to who knows the 50 to a hundred guys or whatever the, the group size that you have in that room is. And like that could spread like a plague. So the last thing you want to do is to come into a room and, and not be positive and happy and, and put a smile on and bring good energy because that's going to help obviously the session go to the level, hopefully that you want or to the standard that you want it to be. Um, but when you bring him behind closed doors, calm, coolest um, individual you've ever met, like doesn't want to be loud, doesn't want to be screaming 24 seven, um, you know, I had another strength coach I worked with at University of Buffalo, and he was just kind of like intense 
all the time or you know like like he would like to call it like play psychological warfare like yeah. Yeah, yeah, always yeah. trying to get guys yeah. guessing all the time what he was going to do what he may do may not do so you know it was it was very hard sometimes to know if like he was just messing around or if, like he was being serious um sometimes that can be a challenge um because you don't even even as a staff you're kind of on your toes because you don't really know that's tough how to react to that yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah and, and i mean it's like the the pluses is it, it kind of keeps you on edge and it keeps you producing at a very high level but then the other part of it is like you're kind of like a little bit stressed and anxious and you don't know what to do from day to day or what you're going to get from day to day which can be can be tough um and then i've had strength coaches that you know their personalities are just not they're not yellers they're not rah-rah guys they're not like i'm trying to run through the room my my sleeves cut off and my biceps showing and screaming and yelling that are just like calm and just talking to like a normal person yeah um i think it's just figuring out your style figuring out what works and and seeing what the athletes respond to as well i think all that's going to be be super important for sure um i want to talk about now the crossover because you've been in strength conditioning you've been on the nutrition side of it how have working in both of those areas helped you now as a, a sports dietitian like even through your time at img like how, how did both of those experiences help you kind of uh, hone in your focus or just understand things a little bit differently? I think first and foremost, I always knew nutrition was going to be the priority. Obviously strength and conditioning kind of came in to fill that void for the time because there wasn't the opportunities. Um, but the hugest thing that being on the strength side taught me is just standards, protocols, being on time, having a routine, schedule, all things that you need to bring to the table because these are all life skills that you're going to be then teaching to to your athletes, which are super important. Because um, many of them have households where they don't have any of that. So a lot a lot of occasions you're almost like a father figure um, to some of these male and female athletes because they don't have that environment. I think that was a really important thing I've learned and just being able to speak the language, right? Like I can go to our strength coach where I'm currently at right now or, or wherever I was previously and have a basic understanding of what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're progressing, whether it's the macro level view for the whole year, whether it's what are we doing today or this week or this month based on the season or the needs of the athletes that we currently have in the room, um, you know, being able to have those conversations and then transition in how nutrition can play a role right? Because it's, it's two sides of the coin. Your, your practice, your lifting, your competition, that's breaking the body down. But if you don't have the nutrition to build the body back up and repair it, you're really only going to get so much out of all the two to four hours of training that you might be doing on a daily basis. So you have to be able to cohesively work with those individuals. Um, and a lot of times some stuff will obviously overlay, but that's where you just kind of have that communication and figure out you know, who's going to take what responsibilities um, and each of those kind of sections, but the more that us or we can be a, a collective team, right. The better then then helps the athlete. Cause then we support each other. Uh, and, and we, we, you can support your other staff members that you work with sports, like athletic training, physical therapy, your coaches, whoever it is, if you're one unit, then the buy-in, or if you don't have trust and relationship with a certain athlete, um, you at least have somebody on your team that you can always rely on to try to push that message through or delegate some kind of information that you can't maybe get through their athlete because maybe they're just never going to like you or they're never going to have trust relationship with you because you just don't click. Yeah. And sometimes like it's okay. I think sometimes 
dietitians or some staff like want everybody to like them, but unfortunately, like not every staff and not every player and every person is going to like you. So you have to be okay with that. Yeah, I agree about the part where you were talking about um, working together as one unit. Um, that's always been something that was important to me and, and really made important to me by mentors early on in my journey of strength conditioning. Now, I didn't work with a sports dietitian until I got to uh, the division one level as a strength coach. So I've had that experience, right? But But coming up, it was always athletic training or sports medicine, right? And just really mm -hmm. understanding why those relationships are so important, right? Everyone who gets into the profession at some point at the core, whether or not they display this day to day, but at the core of it, they want to help that athlete because mm -hmm. they like the uh, sports setting. They want to be a part of that, right? They've been a part of it before, or they really enjoy just the environment and they want to help the athlete. And I think at the end of the day, that's got to be your core uh, that's got to be something you hold on to and you can go back to whether or not you feel great or whether or not you hate your job at that point in time where you're going to be able to work with someone well for that exact reason. But yeah, those relationships of being a unit, even with coaching staff, like they have to be, um, you got, you guys have to be like one team. You can't be just different parts of the same machine. Like you, you have to work together, you know, it's, it's a uh, super important as you mentioned. Well, the coaching staff has a lot of the power. So, it, I mean, that that relationship is is essential. Like, if your coach doesn't like you or you don't have a relationship with them and, you know, they're dictating what the schedule is and the routine and what they want the players to do, I mean, good luck. I mean, you're, it's going to be minimal opportunities you're going to have to be able to integrate yourself. So making sure you do that from day one, at least having a working relationship at the very least, yeah. Um, or in our case, we, we do a lot with um, SmarterBase, track a lot of data information. So that allows me to translate kind of what I do for the athletes and how it's making a benefit or if they're not utilizing my services, how it's possibly be causing, causing a negative yeah. in their space, whether it's practice, whether it's competition, whether it's they're always hurt or sick all the time. You know, I'm trying to find ways that I can take this information and provide it back to them in real time, whether it's the player or the coach. So that way they can make decisions or they can reinforce what I'm trying to do to then hopefully buy into these services to hopefully get them better and progress them again as a whole as an athlete and not just you're just a basketball player. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I think that's really important on the nutrition side because since we are more of the new staff members or the new services, so to speak, that especially from a coaching perspective, having that objective data to show like, hey, this is how this is really helping these particular athletes, this is how I can help your entire team. I think that's really valuable to them. And without that, it's very hard to get their buy-in if they're already kind of skeptical. Yeah. For like, for example, this year, you know, at least biannually, if not at least once a year, we'll do an injury report at the end of the year. But now we're starting to obviously cross over some of our, our data, whether it's the strength data, whether it's the nutrition data, and just look for some like basic correlations and seeing if what, like what's affecting one another spaces right and and for example like the guys who had the highest supplement compliance also tended to be the guys who had the highest availability on the court right like 85 90 percent of the time if they took their supplement most likely vice versa then they were probably going to be available to play whether they started or not they were at least available to be there um, to help out the team so even that one little point 
can at least say, you know, get a coach, like make sure you go take your supplements, right? Or like make sure you go and eat breakfast because we saw this is going to keep you on the court. And even that little bit of information they can then use to, to push over the athletes then helps me or helps us in general. Right. Right. And then it becomes more of a symbiotic relationship with everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a huge point to be able to show as availability, right? They always say your best ability is availability. So if you're healthy and able to make an impact, well, Hey, you're, you're good for the team. So that that's good. To My go. term, I, my term I always use with them is, is your body is your business, right? You get one body, right? Everything's around money and business and NIL deals nowadays. So I always say it's like, do you do you want to have a 30-floor skyscraper building with a penthouse at the top and, and eventually build to that point? Or do you want your building to crumble because you don't have any foundation, you don't take care of yourself, and now you're losing money because you can't stay available on the court? Right. And, and then people aren't going to sign you. People aren't going to trust your durability to to want to keep you long term. And then how long are you really going to last if you even get that one percent chance to get to the pro level? Because if you guys have worked with pro athletes before, or you've seen pro athletes in general, like to stay at that level, even for a couple years is a huge feat, let alone. Yeah, absolutely. Man, your body is your business. I've seen that somewhere. Come on now in like a podcast description or something for like Roots Podcast or something. I've seen that. <laughs> so funny, when I went and visited Claire, um, the person I came with, his name is Cam Winston. Um, he was our leadership coach. So that was an idea kind of like we, we did a, a co-presentation for nutrition and then leadership. Um, and that kind of popped up and developed. And that's something I've kind of morphed from one of his original ideas. So it just shows, you know, anybody that you work with, just just listen and see what they have to say because you never know what you're going to be able to take from them yeah. and utilize that's going to possibly help you in your your field. Yeah. Man, that's great. I I, I actually could go on another tangent about something, but I won't. Uh oh, l- good. <laughs> let's let's keep it with the players here and talking about nutrition. Keep it on target. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned like uh needs and challenges that you might face uh with everyone's individual situation. Can you kind of dive into the issues that you've seen working with uh I want to say high school age because IMG Academy, they're high school age. Some of your overtime athletes have to be high school age, right? So can yep. you, and that's who we mainly work with. So can you talk mm-hmm. about some of the, uh, the needs and challenges that you've seen from them, uh, from a nutrition standpoint? So the big thing that we do, I, I developed this assessment form that's more visual, right? Like we can do a 24 recall, like you can sit there and write a bunch of answers to questions I have down, but I wanted to develop something that would allow the athlete in real time while we're doing the assessment to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together, Right. Because when you're giving them recommendations, but they can't visually see how that affects their schedule or routine, a lot of times it's hard for them to put the two pieces together. So I want to be able to, to develop something so they could do that. So luckily here, again, I have a very small subgroup compared to IMG. I had 350 kids. You know, this year I only had 32 kids. So, I mean, this may not be applicable to everybody that's out there, depending on your level and resources, but I, I assess every single kid. And do a one-on-one assessment. It's about 30, 45 minutes. Um, it's it's scored, and we track that for data points. Um, we look at several categories: their nutrition knowledge, um, and their nutrition, their ability to recognize nutrients in foods. Right. So, let's say, for example, you go to uh, Wegmans or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, and you want to get milk, right? 
if I'm an athlete and I'm going in there and I say, I want you to go buy milk. Do you know that milk's a dairy source? And do you know what nutrients milk has in it? Or if I'm going to go get rice, do you know milk or do you know rice has carbohydrates in it? And do you know what it's going to do for your body? So being able to actually recognize those things is super important because we eat with our eyes and we choose a lot of things visually from what we see. Um, I look at their sleep patterns, which I think I say is the cheat code. Um, th- that for me, if your sleep is not up to par, you're probably not going to have a good schedule and routine and you're probably not going to eat breakfast. Your mood's going to be off. Your appetite's going to be off. It's really going to be, um, it's really going to set up your day either in a good position or a bad position in that sense. Uh, we look at hydration then we also kind of look at their fueling pattern. So from doing this assessment over three or four years, right, you you tend to figure out a lot of the most common trends that just keep popping up over and over and over. Uh, And a lot of the times it's just poor sleep, right? Five to six hours of sleep. And we know if we don't get enough sleep, your risk for injury risk and your risk for uh, being sick consistently all the time. And I'm sure you've probably seen athletes that that they fall into that that department. Um, That's a chronic issue at this age. They all want to stay up late. They all want to constantly be on social media, electronics. Um, so trying to reason and find ways and show them how sleep is going to be a game changer for them and how that's going to affect them positively um, on the court, recover, and mentally and physically be in a better space from day to day um, are, are different things that I try to sell them there. Breakfast is a huge one. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll get at mad at athletes because they don't eat snacks. They don't eat certain meals. They skip this, they skip that. But you really have to look back in their environment. You really have to look back, you know, economically, where are they at? Because a lot of these decisions they might make is probably dependent on their parents, their economic status, what's available possibly in the state or the city that they're in. Are you in a huge city like Atlanta? Are you in some like podunk town in Texas that has one grocery store and you have like 50% of the options? Mm-hmm. And mom and dad work a job where they make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a piece. Yeah. Right. So it's it's really looking beyond the athlete when those kind of situations arise, um, because they may not be doing these behaviors and patterns because they want to. It may be just because that's the situation they were set up in. And that's all that they unfortunately know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say those are two big ones. And then, you know, for skipping breakfast, for not eating snacks, our first meal is lunch. In some cases, I've had guys their first all their food is at like dinner time. Then you kind of had that backwards feeling where most of their food is just at the tail end of the day. And let's be honest, like if you're trying to get three to 8,000 calories, you're not going to get it at one meal. Like it's going to be impossible. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I notice a lot of the, the same things, um, in my, in the athletes that I work with, especially the younger athletes, but the behaviors are, are definitely from different situations. So I definitely agree. You have to look at the situation and it's not always like I'm skipping breakfast because my friends skip breakfast and I just didn't feel like it mm-hmm. today. You know, there's definitely different situations and as dietitians, that's something we have to be aware of and, and understand that, um, the solution for every athlete is not going to be the same. No, you, you can't have a cookie cutter approach. Um, and then the other thing I've noticed, you know, being at IMG and being where I'm currently at now, is just, also, the difference between international athletes and how they take care of themselves is is a lot higher standard from what I found so far versus the culture in the U.S., which is the fast pace, fast food, um, do whatever's cheapest and quickest and easiest. And I'm just getting some food and not really thinking about what I'm doing versus 
most of the international guys I've had over the last year um, tend to take things a lot more serious. Just again, probably because the environment, the coaches, the parents um, definitely pay attention a lot more to those details and know and, and provide the information to those guys at a younger age to show them that's going to be critical for whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good point because the, the culture around food and meal times is so much different in other countries mm-hmm. where it's, it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's slow down. You know, we're definitely going to have this meal. Typically like, um, international cultures have, uh, more family time around meals mm-hmm. than, than yep. us, like you said, like most of us now with like high school age kids is, Hey, we're going to eat this in the car because we're going home from your club practice or whatever, you know, yeah. so fast food or whatnot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I noticed that, uh, when, when I worked at the collegiate level, for sure, there was a, a big difference. Yeah, they were definitely, I call running and gunning is what I call it. Like (laughs) you're just trying to go from school to practice to maybe this personal trainer or lift or club team that you have to do. And then here it is seven, eight o'clock at night. You still need to do homework. You're running home. You're doing this. And then you're not probably going to bed at 10, 11 o'clock because I I think a lot too, we're just putting too much stuff on some of our athletes plate at a really young age. And then it's negatively affecting them to be able to develop a schedule and routine that's actually realistic for them to do day in and day out or like from week to week, you know, and, and the athlete, the athlete or the child is just falling from what the parent's doing. So if you're just running all around all over the place, well, that's what your routine is going to be just to know how to run around all over the place. You don't have any kind of set in stone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, the last thing I actually want to ask both of you is, um, so Fields, the fields continue to grow. Yeah. So like sports nutrition, (laughs) it continues to grow, right? It gets better. Maybe there's technology that comes out. I'm only speaking from perspective, like strength conditioning. Like there's always something like that's on the leading or the cutting edge, you know, that's leading the the push here of information or technology and how the field is evolving. Um, Do either of you or both of you have something that you feel like is really pushing, um, I don't know, like leading the charge in nutrition these days. Like one thing. I mean, obviously, I'll let Claire go first. Yeah, yeah. Can you go first. Yeah, go first. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the I'll be the gentleman. <laughs> um, from my perspective, I think something that Sean mentioned earlier, I think, is just veterans in the field really leading the charge. I think in making it better, streamlining it more, making sure that all not necessarily all, but more athletes have similar access to sports nutrition education, sports nutrition professionals. Um, and I think that's going to really help catapult our profession to where it's more on a level of strength and conditioning. Um, yeah, that's, that's my perspective. I think for mine, a couple of different things. I think the data part is going to be huge as we continue to progress. Um, you see more and more people, whether it's hiring their own staff, whether it's getting smarter base, Kitman, um, finding more ways that we can collect data, quantify that, um, show that we're having value, show that we're a, a critical piece of the puzzle to um, what you guys are doing as an organization. And then also being able to apply that or show the athlete how what we're trying to have them do and what they're putting in their practice is actually helping them to create some buy-in there. And then being able to show them their results acutely 
So maybe it's you do a pre and post weight and you can show them after their training, they lost X amount of pounds, which means they need to hydrate from this. Or, hey, I tracked your weight over six months. And, you know, from the recommendations I gave you, I can, I can tell you're doing a great job because you put on, you know, 10 pounds. And when we did your body comp, you've put on at least seven to eight pounds of muscle mass, right? And, and a lot of that information is, is invaluable. And the faster and quicker you can then relay that to them, the buy-in then comes a lot faster as well, right? Versus just saying like, yeah, you look like you're doing really good. And it definitely looks like you're eating a lot better. And I, you know, awesome. Congrats. You've, you've added some fruits and vegetables on your plate, which is good. Like we want to capitalize on those moments when the athletes are doing something we've told them, but when we can put a number or a graph or a color or a visual to it, um, it definitely stands out. Um, even now, like my, our scouting department is utilizing me in that sense. So if we're recruiting players, right, I can, I can now have data and examples from previous players that I've used and they can use that in the recruiting process. Like, Hey, you know, this is a player Sean worked with for a year. He's put on this amount of muscle. He's put this amount of weight on, you know, from his initial assessment to his reassessment, he's improved 25%. And we have a graph where I can show the categories where they've improved. And when you can show that to a parent and show that to a player, you know, the next question is like, where are you going to get that development? Or where are you going to get those type of services at the high school level? Probably the next answer is probably nowhere. <laughs> so it makes this kind of unique and, or it makes us in that sense, unique and help us kind of stand apart. Um, and then I think kind of the other point with, with Claire, there's just, you know, the more ID, RDs we can have, hold strong, holding standards, trying to get resources and trying to get processes in place that are standardized um, across the multiple levels of athletics, I think is going to be really critical there. I mean, you know, speaking like strength and conditioning, you got a strength coach making a million dollars versus a head strength coach that's doing just as much or probably triple quadruple the work and making $50,000 at a head position. Yeah. Um, you know, so we got to try to fi also find a way to even the playing field too there when it comes to pay. Now I know schools and divisions, like all that's going to be a uh, very big challenge because not everyone has the resources like some pro and, and a tactical or a high division one school is, but like we got to find some way to close the gap. But knowing what you're worth is, is important too, you know, not taking jobs that is a head job and they're paying you 40,000, but you've been in the field for eight years. Like it's just downright disrespectful <laughs> in my, in my case. No, that's a big one because I think especially young uh, professionals from um, just, I think athletics in general, I think the idea is we'll just get in, just get in. Um, and sometimes that's you work well, I intern for free, so you have to intern for free or, you know, whatever the case might be. So I think that can definitely be something to to be improved upon for sure. Now, I'll definitely say this, like RDs that just graduate and like get your first job, like you're not going to make $100,000 coming out of the gate. So there's also that disparity too. Sometimes people coming out of an internship or they just got their credentials or their degree, all of a sudden they think they should be making X amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to need some years of experience and improve that you have the skills and abilities to take also some of these positions and also have the worth to be able to get that type of pay and get that type of money. So there's kind of that fine line that comes in between there, but um, you may have to do a couple internships. You may have to do an internship in a fellowship or internship in a graduate assistant position. Or once you do your GA, maybe you have to do an assistant job for a couple of years. But I think the mindset is like, can I keep progressing and what I'm able to do and provide and value I can bring 
which then associates with, okay, I should then get paid because paid a little bit more each time as I progress through my career versus I need to get paid the top money as soon as I'm coming out. It's just not realistic. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 definitely not. So uh, take home advice here for our listeners. I know you kind of mentioned a couple of things, uh, cheat codes and, and some advice, but what would you say for our listeners as athletes, they need to uh, focus on from your opinion? Maybe give us like uh, a few things. I'm sure you've got like the list here. First and foremost, get eight to 10 hours of sleep, right? Figure out when you need to be up in the morning time and work back eight and a half hours from that time. So which that means you should be looking at your schedule. You should know what your routine is going to be. If you work back from the time when you have to be up to go get breakfast and then go to training or whatever that may be, that's going to put you in a better position to figure out when you actually need to go to bed to hopefully get the amount of hours that you need every night. I think that's kind of numero uno. That's going to then set you up for success for the, the other big problem is get breakfast right? Start your day off fueled. Don't start your day off with an empty fuel tank because if you look at basketball, right, you want to make more shots. You want to be able to think on the court and react efficiently. You want to be a presence and be able to rebound and body some guy that's coming in that's trying to score on you, right? Physically and mentally, you're not going to be able to do those things if you're not starting your day off appropriately fueled. Right. Um, and then just eating enough food, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like a part-time job. I understand at times like getting three meals and getting, you know, two to four snacks in a day can be definitely cumbersome, but if you can establish a schedule, establish a routine and figure out how then you can plug those pieces of the puzzles into that, um, you're going to be a lot more successful, have a lot more energy. Um, and I kind of call it my big three. Like I'll ask my players all the time, how's your energy level? How is your strength, power, speed, right? And then how are you performing on the court? If all those things are maintaining or improving, then for me, that's a quick check that I can do to know that, all right, for the most part, they're not doing everything 100%, but it's enough that's allowing these things to maintain or get better. And if it's vice versa, if it's going backwards and you're feeling worse and something's not going great, red flag, light bulb in my head, hopefully in their head, to hopefully start asking some questions to figure out what do I need to do to help them change or what are the roadblock or obstacles that I need to try to provide them some tools to get over. It's good stuff, man. Sean, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today and uh, really just giving us some insights and uh, just chatting with us, really. So thank you so much. Thank you. Always, always appreciate, um, you know, anybody in the field that gives me an opportunity to, to jump on and chat. Love, love having these organic conversations, you know, with all sorts of different professionals and not just, you know, one singular profession. Right. Go check out his podcast, Roots Podcast, anywhere you can get them. Uh, We will catch you on the next one.